but I'll say this. I pray for those days again, because those days were simple anti-Israel rhetoric. Today we're seeing, we're seeing things that are simply anti-biblical. Wow. I, um, uh, when we had a lot of the riots, uh, back in 2016 in the U S some of those came from groups that were calling themselves the Hebrews. And they say that, uh, there is much Jewish and, um, but I know there's a people that live in this land. This is Jerusalem. There is a Samaria. There is a Judea. There is a Mediterranean and a Dead Sea and a Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. And there are people that have given their life and fought to come here and live. And God has done so much to bring the Jewish people back home. And I, as a Christian... I need to believe in you folks. And I think I'm right. Don't you, David? Again, Again, my level of melatonin doesn't define me as a Jew. I think this is is an extremely important point. Uh, A lot of Jews here, I think more than 50% come from Sephardic heritage that are darker than me. My wife, her parents came from Yemen during Operation uh, on Wings of Eagle uh, during 1949. And they were pioneers in the outskirts of Netanya to start uh, a moshav, one of the farming communities. So my wife is much darker than me. My, my kids are a blend between my, my wife and I. So my kids are cafe mocha. The melatonin is not what defines them as Jews. We go back to a heritage that we, as Jonathan rightly points out, that's biblically written. We have all the records. Uh, yes, Jews went out to the four corners of the world. And now, thank God, we're bringing Jews from the four corners of the world, including Jews from India, Jews from Ethiopia. So the melatonin is not the issue. The issue is whether or not uh, what's happening right now is a new form of anti-Semitism. And I, I want to encourage people uh, to actually go to YouTube and look at Rabbi... Uh, Jonathan Sachs's video on the mutation of anti-Semitism. I think it, it's, it's going to be worth your while to understand the dynamics of anti-Semitism. So better, for, I don't want to plagiarize Rabbi Sachs. Rabbi Sachs, in his own words, eloquently points out how anti-Semitism throughout the centuries has mutated. And what we're seeing right now is a delegitimization of us not having our land. We don't as Jews, we, our identity is not with this land. So let me take away what that identity is, and that is the delegitimization of Israel itself. And it's not only what you experience within uh, certain circles that you experience. We even have our own co-religious, Jews themselves, who want to take themselves out of the identity of the state of Israel that makes them Jewish. So it goes on both sides. You can be self-hating Jew. I want to make that very clear. Uh, that's probably more dangerous than sometimes we see that happens in the rise of anti-Semitism in the world. At least I know what I'm dealing with. Sometimes with my own co-religious, I'm not sure what we're dealing with. David, I just want to interject because that's great that you brought up the melatonin and, and, and the tremendous diversity ethnically that we are as a Jewish people. But some people will hear that on college campuses and say, well, I told you they're not authentic because they've been all over the world. The The, the problem is the reason why we were all over the world, and David said, is because it, it's biblical. We were, we were told we were going to be dispersed, and we were. But we were also told that we are coming back, and we are. 
And, and anyone who questions the validity of the Jewish people and the word only has to look at it and look at us. And, and I think it's a pretty uh, clear equation. Anti-Semitism, very short, is anti-God. So if you're against God, you're going to be against the Jewish people. Exactly. Wow, that's, uh, that's, that's good. And my being here in the land, I'm very excited because at CFI, one thing we have been doing a lot over the last couple of months is reaching out to the Ethiopian community. And these are just precious people. They're so glad to be home. Uh, all the Jewish people are wrapping their arms around them. So I learned this. Uh, if I... If I don't like my neighbor because of his skin color, that is prejudice and that is wrong. But when you look at the Jewish person and you say, I don't like Jews, what are you saying? It's, it's, it's an anti-spirit and, and, and God's not pleased with that anti-God spirit. Uh, Sharon, I think you have a question. Well, <clears throat> I think as we're wrapping up this last session here, you know, it, we all know that history has proved it's not been easy for these two great, quote, faiths in the world, religions, whatever you want to call it, to be joined at the hip, so to speak. But we've talked a lot about walking shoulder to shoulder. And I'm wondering, as we wrap this session up, and we've just, I think we've just got a good start on some of the things that need to be discussed, brought out in the open, and thought about. What would you say is the role of Christians, and this is more gen generic, Christians who are friends of Israel around the world? What should they be doing to reconnect to, yes, their roots, as we say in Hebrew, Shorashim, how do you feel it should be done? What about the people who are listening here said, that's been an interesting conversation that I've just listened to. I never thought about that point before. Um, as, as we all have questions, what, what do you think we should be doing now in this time period to re reconnect and bring the Christians who are all over the world back to Jerusalem? to realize that they are part of what's coming ahead uh, in Israel. Well, what do you say, Jonathan? Um, well, when you mentioned Jerusalem, and I'm looking behind us and always aware of the fact that 2,000 years ago, a different building stood there, and a Jewish guy named Jesus worshipped there. For Christ, what I think first and foremost, if Christians don't understand that yeah. as foundational to Christianity, yeah. and that everything that came before that and flowed as a result, then we need to have a very serious rewind to um, to begin to understand. It's commonly used the Jewish roots of Christianity. Jonathan, in the early years of our ministry, I remember it so well. We were in the United Kingdom, and I had just done a teaching, and a little lady came up to me, and she was crying. I thought, oh, my goodness, what did I say that I have offended her? And she said to me, and this goes along with what you're saying, I've loved Jesus as a Christian all my life, but... I never knew he was a Jewish, and I couldn't believe it. She had loved him all her life, but never realized. 
because we're not taught in our Sunday schools and our churches the manhood, the the, the upbringing, the country, the the, the family, everything his about him. His faith, and and so so people need to connect with that. We've That's spoken a hundred percent, and David's got a great resource um, with his with his new book. Um, another piece of the puzzle: Christians need to reclaim the Jewish roots of Christi- uh, the, the, the Jewish roots of Christianity. It was hijacked. It was ripped away. And you've been doing such a great job helping to bring that back. But to me, that's foundational. I, I think Dr. John Gar once said this, a wonderful teacher, a friend of mine. Uh, Christians have to decide, yes, Jesus died. And he was crucified as a Jew. But was he resurrected as a Southern Baptist or was he resurrected as a Jew? And that is the defining question for Christians that see everything through Jesus to understand whether or not that resurrection moment is something that pertains to Jewish Jewishness or not. But you're saying then maybe that when he was resurrected, he he then became a Christian. Right. So most Christians would think some who have never really considered the question will say, yes, he died as a Jew, but that doesn't mean anything right now. And the argument from Christian theology that is rooted in Hebraic roots would be, well, if, if the resurrection of Jesus took place, does that resurrection mean Jewishness as well? So I think the, the scholars who have actually studied this would say, and including you, yeah, the resurrection is a Jewish understanding of who he is, and you can't separate the Jewish identity from Jesus. Once you divorce the identity of Jesus from the family he was born into, then that's where replacement theology comes in. And that's where the church in the past has gone wrong to do horrible things against the Jews. I don't think Jesus would be very happy for those who did horrible things to his own family. Right. Can I say something? I really believe that if we don't get anything else out of this session, and we will get more as we listen to it and re-listen, it is the key. We have got to, as Christians, realize that Christianity is very Jewish. We've got to open our eyes to what we're being taught, quote, in the New Testament, that it the Torah, conf- they, conf- they confirm one another. They're not enemies. And, and I just want to say for everyone, if you want to enrich your faith in Jesus or just your faith in, in God alone, start looking at the meanings behind the words you're reading and check it out in the original language and you'll know why Jesus did what he did why he said what he said and don't forget the book of John chapter 4 and verse 22 Jesus said salvation is of the Jews I'm going to leave it with that because I want you to think about it go to the book read the chapter and read what he said salvation is of the Jews. I uh, I came to light one day when I read in the scripture from the Apostle Paul that uh, we are grafted in and that that's the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is not that you guys have a relationship with God. The mystery is that we do. Therefore, if I'm grafted in, that doesn't mean you have to do all the changing. 
but it means I need to learn something from you. And um, I think a lot of us are doing that now, and I'm very thankful for it. Miss Sharon, why don't you give us the last question, whatever's on your heart and mind. Well, I would like for Christians to do a little more research on the word church. Because I really believe it came from Kierke and, and a history that we haven't talked about as the church. And I really would like to see it from the Greek word either ecclesia or from the Hebrew word. I think it's kalal, uh, kehila, the, the, the roots from the word. And if so, then... It's part of, we're part of a congregation. We're part of a, an assembly. We're part of a bigger group and community than what we have realized. And I just really believe that we need to study more of uh, what's ahead for all of us. Okay, the big question uh, that we had that we wanted to bring out. Uh, we were we were on Shiftai Israel Street one year and a, a rabbi who knew me very well and he popped in one day and he says, hey, Sharon, can you tell me why the Christians never followed the Judaism of Jesus? And I didn't have the answer back then. Maybe I have a little bit more of the answer right now, but Jonathan, what do you think? Was it because of our forefathers who were so anti-Semitic and our forefathers are the same as yours, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? But could it have been them? Is that why they didn't follow what he said? Because what he taught and what we're, many are doing is two different things. What he taught was all Jewish. Yes, and absolutely. When I, and when I sit in a church and, I, and I'm not an expert, certainly I didn't attend for a day a spirit-filled uh, evangelical university or study. I mean, I had various lessons in college about, uh, about uh, other theologies. But... I think it comes down to the fact that when Christianity was kind of ripped away from Judaism, it needed to define itself as different. And, and David, you used the, the term before, which we talk about frequently, replacement theology. It was a replacement. It was not a continuation of, but there was, an, in fact, a replacement. And, and, and uh, my, my only answer to why. I, I, I haven't figured out. I'm in the middle of a, a, a fabulous book. I wish we could have this conversation in a week when I'm much more informed. What happened in the first 200 years? All right, right? That, that's a critical period. That's a very critical period. But already then in the third century is where we saw that massive ripping away, where, where David's book is so important because it brings Christians... If, Christians only back to what the Sabbath is, yeah. right? Really, yeah. which was among the things that were changed. That, that's my best answer. I don't know, but I, I, I think I said it before, and I believe it firmly. Christianity had its Jewish roots hijacked, and I, I can't answer any more in depth as to why, but I think that this is the opportunity to repair that breach. Well, I was told in Scotland years ago, some of the little ladies, they were quite elderly, but they said, when we were children, on the Sabbath, you didn't play basketball. You didn't do sports. You didn't do those things. We kept mm. the Sabbath very holy. It's interesting to think about. The, the Sabbath as in Saturday or, I mean, a lot of us called the Sabbath Sunday. Correct. They would have meant Sunday. They would Correct. have meant Sunday. But that was a, they call it the Sabbath. Uh, I think, Jonathan, I really like your answer. 
there was a diversion. And one reason for the diversion was sometimes we, we need that to make us look spiritual. The Jews didn't want Jesus. The Jews didn't do this. The rabbis did that. We're totally different. So they have to start laying a paradigm, which is totally opposite, to, to, to solidify. If they didn't make it look totally opposite, then its adherents would say, why do we need a new religion? Uh, excellent. I, I just want to compliment uh, what's been said already. First of all, you had many Christianities during the late Second Temple period, all after Second Temple period. You know this because some of the church fathers are dealing with certain issues as far as, wait a second, how are we looking at the at Gentile believers in Jesus practicing certain aspects of Jewish law? Is that coming from a, a point of view that this is a way to uh, gain their salvation or is this a way to affirm their faith? And what you had was many Christianities until you have the formation of the official church through the seven councils of the church and it's tackling certain issues on a theological sense, but it was also attacking Jewish practice. What defined someone to be a Christian was not to be acting as a Jew. Yes, the answer is yes, plain and simple. Yes, early church fathers were anti-Semitic and wrote anti-Semitic writings. But I think the fundamental issue, if you're coming from just simply Hebraic roots, is what do you do with a Gentile who believes in Jesus? Are they required from a Christian point of view or from a non-Jewish point of view to practice Jewish law? And this is a debate within Jesus' own disciples, uh, whether or not that's happening. Paul, who wasn't a disciple, decided for the church, for the purposes of salvation, that you do not have to convert to Judaism to be saved. And if you want to stay as a non-Jew, but also a believer in, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through, through the expression of Jesus, then you don't have to practice the entire, whatever the definition was of Jewish law back then. But I think many people wanted to practice it out of a sense of, this is my affirmation of faith. Because if you, anyone pays attention to the Sermon of the Mount, just that, those speeches alone already brings uh, people who believe in Jesus into a frame that's more than just simple natural law of setting up a court, ensuring their civil society. There is actual um, guardrails to protect the spirit of the law. So for example, uh, Jesus says at the Sermon on the Mount, if you're already taking a second look at a woman and, and she's married, you've already violated adultery, right? Uh, if you're already starting to get ang angry, you're also starting the, I mean, these are rabbinic guardrails that were very popular in Jesus' time to prevent Jewish people from violating the spirit of the law. So already within apostolic writings, specifically with Jesus, and I would even say many letters of Paul trying to get a church back to its compass. Okay, the reason why he's writing many of these letters is to address certain things that are, are coming up and corrupting what was its original intention. He's not writing a letter. Not every single letter is about praise and, and you're doing a great job. Most of the letters are framed from a point of view that 
you have are doing something that is contrary to what the original intention was. So I'm, I'm not saying Christians need to convert to Judaism. I'm not saying G, uh, Jews need to go. I, I, Christians need to go ahead and and practice Orthodox Jewish ways of the law. I think what every Christian now has to just think in the as far as when we're saying that you're not under the law, what does that mean? Under the law as far as salvation? Yeah, I, I understand that. But there are laws in place, even the apostolic writings that Christians are doing that really pertain to what the rabbinic establishment already started in late Second Temple period. I think it's just sort of like I think a great resource for people who really want to see Paul and how he interprets um, from a Jewish way. I think Mark Nanos' work on this is, is pretty phenomenal. And it's something that I actually learned at All Roberts University to help Dwight Pryor, John Garr, yeah. have all written. These are the people in the 1970s and 80s that really took the church to understand its Hebraic roots, not as a co-opting of Jewish practice, but as a affirmation that we are part of the covenantal journey with the Jewish people even though I am not Jewish. So I don't want to use the word Gentile because sometimes Gentile has a bad connotation. Yeah. But the non-Jewish person who believes in Jesus, that, that a lot of the writings of Jesus and its practice, and even Paul and his practice, has a lot of Hebraic roots to it yeah. and speaks to the, the, the time of his days. Both of them, both of their days. Well... All I can say is for those Christians who say, I don't need any of my Jewish roots. I'm, I'm fine just the way I am, and I believe in Jesus. I would encourage them to read the last chapter of the book that we study uh, in regard to the Torah, and that is the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. The last words that Jesus said was, don't forget, I am of the root of Ishai. He said, basically, in today's English, don't forget I'm a Jew. So therefore, may all of our beloved brothers and sisters out there, because he did say, don't forget, I'm not just here to Israel, I have other sheep. Well, those sheep became a pretty big herd around the world. And we are a part of Israel. We are not Israel. We are not the true Israel. But we're a part of that with Israel, and we will become more and more, I believe, those who truly believe in the one true God and in oneness of the one true God that will be one with Israel. So start your studies. And you might have thought that this whole conversation was just too deep for you, but I believe that many of you have got some answers. And so we'd like to hear from you, so make sure that you write us and tell us what today's conversation has meant to you and to your heart and about the Jewish roots of your faith. Don't be ashamed of them. God bless you all. And speaking of Israel, we are sitting here in Jerusalem, and it is the capital of Israel, and in the background you're hearing hammers, you're hearing cranes digging. All of that's going. You hear, right now I'm hearing sirens. It's a growing, thriving city that has struggles. And um, I'm proud to be a part of it. Today, Jonathan Feldstein, David Nekrutman, Sharon Sanders, I feel we were blessed to speak 
globally 